Let's turn to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. We'll look at most of the chapter tonight. We'll not go verse by verse, but we'll start in verse 5, if you have your Bibles. Revelation 21, verse 5. I refer to several verses. I don't, um, there's just a lot here, and so I didn't put every verse on the screens. And so uh, if you want to keep your Bibles open as I refer to different verses, you can sort of glance down and see what verse uh, I am on. Um, we can do that way. So Revelation chapter 21. Boy, just two more verses. Just this, uh, tonight, one more night, we'll be through the book of Revelation. And so we've gotten to the good part. We've looked at um, who Jesus is in the first uh, couple of ch first chapter, and then we looked at the message to the seven churches. And this is really the heart of Revelation, those messages to the seven churches. John is writing to, to people who are living for Christ, who are, who are people who belong to him, and they've got some different situations. Some of them are doing pretty well. Some of them are being persecuted. Some are staying strong in persecution. Uh, some are growing lukewarm, and some are kind of falling away. And so all these different manners of people, and then, and chapter 5, he hits, he says, and then and for things to come, and it looks at a time that we typically call the tribulation, and the people in John's day would see that as the time they were living in. And of course, we've looked at, it at this as being, we all deal with tribulations, and whether this be uh, the seven-year tribulation that a lot of us believe that it is, still has lessons for us today, and you've seen as we've preached through this that I've really tried hard to make this applicable for today. I don't think that God put chapters 5 through 19 in the Bibles just for a seven-year period of time, and we were just kind of, you know, get ready for that, and that's all it means. I think it has a lot of meanings for us in the day and time which we live today. So well, anyway, we finished that, and uh, we did the millennium last time, and uh, all the questions about the millennium people have ever had, we answered. If you missed that, I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> theologians for thousands and thousands of years have debated that, and we settled it. Andy Riley got up, taught on that last time, and settled everything, so we got that done with. And now we get to the good part. I mean, man, we've been through a lot. And, uh, and from, from Revelation 5 to Revelation 19, dude, we've been through a lot. Man, demons running around and fireballs falling from the sky and the sun scorching people and the ocean turning to blood and fish dying and good grief. <laughs> it's, it's been a lot. So look at Revelation 21, verse 5. Uh, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down. These words are trustworthy and true. Well, if you could go anywhere on vacation, where would you go? Uh, you think about that for a minute, where would you go? And don't you love it when you go on vacation and it works out just right? I mean, the, the, the view's good and things are well and your ride's on time and the lines aren't too long and it's not too hot. And, and yes, yeah, sometimes you go on vacation, you go to a new place and it doesn't work out quite as well. One lady put a picture on Facebook that said uh, it was her mom's first time uh, visiting Paris. And so go ahead and show the picture there. Um, seems like mom may not be having the best time in the whole world. Uh, another, lady, another guy went to Hawaii and he hiked up uh, or took a two-hour drive up to 10,000 feet. It's one of the uh, most majestic sunrises in Hawaii. And he got a chance to get this picture of his famous sunrise. <laughs> you got to love that one. Uh, another guy hiked a 120-mile solo hike. At the end, he got an elderly man to take his picture for him. And so he got this picture of his 120-mile solo hike. <laughs> you got to love that one, right? And then another guy um, went to Machu Picchu, the great uh, ruins in uh, South America, and his dad took his picture there, and uh, he'll always treasure that picture, <laughs> right? 
And then this guy visited the Great Wall of China. Lauren, I've been there, and uh, boy, it's not so great of a view there on the Great Wall of China, as you notice that. Here's a girl that asked a guy to take her picture. Uh, she was also in... Um, uh, uh, in the, amongst the big trees, and she, he said, I got a real good close-up for you. <laughs> there she is. There she is right there. <laughs> really good close-up for her. Nice little picture of that. One more, one more. Uh, this guy went to the Grand Canyon, got this great picture of the Grand Canyons. <laughs> you love it when that works out. I think I've told most of you the story when um, first time we took Joel to the beach. And uh, it's hard to explain the beach to, to a three or four-year-old, you know. And so we were trying to explain to him big water, you know, it's going to be huge and all this kind of stuff. And he had never, of course, seen anything like that before. But he was old enough to talk a little bit. And uh, when we walked up down there at Fort Walt, we walked over the dunes. And he saw that water. <laughs> he went... Big Wawa, big Wawa. <laughs> it's like, yeah, dude, that is some big Wawa right there. And, uh, don't you love it when it works out well like that? The views, I mean, it's those beautiful sunny days, and it, and it just worked. The, the water was just, just as clear as it could be. Well, I want to tell you about a trip, a place you're going to go to one day if you're a Christian, if you're saved. And you're already booked in. If you're a Christian, your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you've already got a reservation book, and it's going to be a place where there will be no disappointment, no heartache, no tears. It's going to be a place that, uh, that you will not be disappointed in, not one day, not one hour, not five minutes we ever have a disappointment there. It'll be a place where you and I will be thrilled beyond anything that we've ever experienced. Heaven is referred to uh, over 500 times in Scripture, around 550 times or so, depending on how you count. It's referred to, and of course, it's not, not just the word heaven, but heaven, new Jerusalem, new heavens, new earth, that kind of thing. It's referred to around 54 times in the book of Revelation, which is telling us something. When you're going through persecution, you need to know that it's going to be worth it then, right? And that's what heaven tells us. That's what Revelation 21 and 22 tells us, is that no matter how hard life gets here, no matter how difficult life gets, no matter how misunderstanding, uh, how many misunderstandings you have here, how many times your heart gets broken here, it will be a thousand times worth it just to see Jesus. It'll be, I mean, just an infinity times worth it just to see Jesus. Heaven is not meant just to say, you know, just, you know, someday you'll get, I mean, it is meant to encourage us that it's all worth it. No matter what you do for Jesus will be abundantly worth it. Revelation 21 tells us about this place called heaven. And we want to take a look at it tonight. As we take a look at it, I want to use the word new because uh, there in Revelation 21.5, we looked at a few minutes ago, God says, behold, I make all things new. And so it's going to be something new. I want to see three things that's going to be new about this place called heaven that we're going to after the millennium, our final uh, destination. Sometimes people will say, uh, this is so-and-so's final resting place. The grave is not your final destination if you're a believer, amen? Yeah, something way better than that. And uh, right now, people who die, I believe with all my heart, are, they're absent from the body and present with the Lord. And so that's something we call heaven. But tonight, we're going to look at the final place we called heaven, the final destination of all believers. And so look at it tonight. Three things I want to say. First of all, it's going to be a new place. It's going to be a brand new place. You've not seen anything like this place. 
Um, like Joel saying, big wall, wall. It's going to be a big wall, wall moment for you, okay? When you see the, the walls and the gates and the city and the glory and the colors and the sounds and all that, we've not ever been here before. We've not even seen anything that can compare with this before. Look at verses 1 and 2, the New International Version. John writes, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any more sea. The ancients saw the sea as a place of evil. Uh, the dragon came up out of the sea. The sea was a scary, dangerous place. And so that's kind of the idea. No more evil, I think, is the idea of any, no longer any more sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Notice here that it's new. It's not the old habit of man. The, by the time you get to the end of the tribulation, this place is wrecked. <laughs> I mean, the, if, it was, if you were to try to sell this place at the, end of the, at the end of the tribulation, it would definitely need some TLC, right? It would definitely need, it would definitely be a, a fixer upper. And this was prophesied. Isaiah 65, God said, Behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, so new that the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. Be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. So there'll be a, a new heaven, a new earth. The new heaven is the idea that in the Bible there's talks about, Paul talks about he was caught up into the third heavens. Um, I don't think that's talking about three levels of heaven as far as being in the presence of God. But I think the first level of heaven Paul would talk about would be our atmosphere. Second level would be like outer space, moon and the planets and things like that. And the third level of heaven would be where God dwells. And so when he says a new heaven, he's talking about a place with no more tornadoes. No more thunderstorms, no more windstorms, no more hail, all that kind, all the kind of disturbances in the sky, in the atmosphere, the clouds, and all that lightning and all that kind of stuff. All that stuff's gonna be done with. And the word for new here is a word that doesn't just mean new as in you've never had this before, but it's a word that means new in quality. It's a different Greek word to say it's something that's simply like you got a new pair of jeans. Now, this is talking about something completely new in quality. There's never been anything like this. There's never been a city like this. There's never been a dwelling place that can compare with this. And so not only is it new, but, I mean, it's new in, in comparison to anything that we've ever seen or experienced. And in this new earth is a new city. It's called the New Jerusalem, and the new Jerusalem to me is the capital city of the new heavens and the new earth. I want you to notice two things about the new Jerusalem, this capital city, and, and really about all of the new heavens and the new earth. I want you to notice a couple of things about it. First of all, it's big. We're going to see that it's big and beautiful, amen? It's big and beautiful. Number one, it's big. Revelation 21, verses 15 to 17. Look at the New International Version. The angel who taught with me, had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square. Now, something to notice here, it's laid out like, really like a cube. It resembles the holy of holies in the Old Testament. And so when you look at the measurements, um, if you wonder what, why did God, a lot of people 
you know, kind of like, why, why is it a cube and all that? Think about it. He's talking about, and we're going to see this at the end. We're, we're here to experience the presence of God. It's built like the Holy of Holies. God's saying this whole city is like the Holy of Holies where the manifest presence of God is. And so that's really the big idea behind the shape here. And so uh, it was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with a rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length. That's about 14,000, uh, 1,400 miles in length. And as wide as it is, as it is long, the angel measured uh, the wall using human measurement. And it was 144 cubits, around 216 feet thick. So you're looking at a 1,400, 1,500-mile cube, long, wide, tall, that kind of thing. One person said it would be larger than India with nearly 2 million square miles, and that's just talking about the, the, the land square. That's not talking about going up. The real idea is this idea that it goes up so far, so far 1,500 miles. You and I know if we get 10,000 feet high, we have a hard time breathing, right? And so you see what this city is, it really is turning the, the, the Babylon, the, the, which represents man against God. Remember the Tower of Babel that the men tried to create to reach up to, to the heavens. God says, I'll make that look like nothing. <laughs> we'll go 1,500 miles high. We'll go really, really high. And, uh, and so it's, it's, a, it's a huge, huge place. And notice the numbers here. Because a lot, I've, I even read where one scientist tried to figure out, he used some exotic measurements. He tried to calculate how many people have lived, uh, about how many people were Christians, how many cubic square feet are in the city. And he come up with the idea that in his best guesstimates, uh, every person would have about 30 square miles to themselves. It's a big place, right? I don't think, I don't think that's the point, though. I don't think that's the point. The point, notice the numbers, 12,000. 12 is the number of God's people. 12,000 and then 14, uh, 12,000 and then 144. What's he talking about there? The people of God, what he's saying here is symbolically, whether now it may be literally that big, that, that's fine. But what he's saying is it's going to be plenty big for everybody. It's going to be plenty satisfying for everybody. There's going to be nothing that somebody's going to say, I wish they had that. <laughs> you ever get to a hotel room and think, oh, man, they don't have a coffee maker here? How can you have a hotel room without a coffee maker? They don't have a refrigerator? That's a deal killer for us because we gotta have, i got to have cold milk at night before I go to bed. So if the hotel room doesn't have a refrigerator, uh, that's a deal killer. There's not going to be anything like that in this new city, this new Jerusalem. It's going to be more than enough. Nothing, you're not going to miss anything there and say, man, I wish that was there. And then it's going to say, they said it's going to call you called the holy city. The holy Jerusalem. Most of you, like me, if you were to say where you want to go on vacation at at midnight, it would not be in a downtown of a large city in the United States. You don't want to go downtown New Orleans in the middle of the night. You don't go downtown Chicago. You don't go downtown Los Angeles. You don't go downtown New York in the middle of the night. Why? Because so many of our cities are just swamps of sin. And you're scared, you're not sure if you're going to be okay, you might get robbed, you might get mugged, you know, who knows, who knows what's going to go on. This is a holy city, 
okay? This is a city without sin. This is a city without fear. This is a city without disappointment. This is a city where you don't have to lock your doors at night, right? This is a city that is holy. It works like God set it up to work. And all of the glorified, all of God's people, all the glorified of all the ages are going to live there in the Father's house where Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. Look, if you will, it's all so beautiful. Look, if you will, in Revelation 21, 11, and then verse 18. Put your shoes two verse. Now, it's God designed, it's God made, God's the architect, God's the builder, and watch how he describes it in verses 11 and 18. It's shown with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel. Notice it's like that. It's like a jasper, clear as crystal. The wall was made of jasper, the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. Notice it says it's, the wall was made of jasper, but it's clear jasper. Our jasper today is not clear. It's more opaque. This is clear jasper. And the idea behind the clear jasper is kind of like a diamond. The idea behind this is that the brilliance and the glory of God shines through it. It really is refracted through it. The idea is the brilliance, the colors, the brilliance of God's glory hits the jasper and it reflects in this radiant spectrum of dazzling colors throughout the universe. I mean, it's going to be the prettiest, most glorious, marvelous sight that you've ever seen. Um, he also talks about there's going to be um, uh, stones in the wall. The wall can be built of different stones. Interestingly enough, uh, some of these stones, eight or nine of these stones uh, come from the high priest ephod that the priest wore. Some of them come from Ezekiel chapter 28 uh, when he talks about the city of Tyre, which was an economic superpower of the day, and some of the stones that were, that were there in that city. The idea is it's going to be a priestly city where we meet with God, but it's also going to be a city of economic sufficiency. Now, I'll just run through the stones real quick. Eight, of the, eight or nine of these stones appear in both lists, Ezekiel 28 and the high priest uh, ephod that he wears. Let me just run through some of these stones and, and then I'll give you the, um, the idea behind it. First of all, he says there's a sapphire, which is probably a blue stone. Traditionally, the sapphire is the stone the Ten Commandments was written on. Uh, there's the agate, which is a green form of, of uh, quartz. You've got blue and green, and you've got an emerald, which is a green translucent stone. Only time emeralds mentioned in the Bible is right here. Then there's, there, there's the onyx, which some people think is probably a reddish white, uh, which is prominent in some of the um, crown jewels in England. Uh, the ruby is the first place in the breastplate of Israel's high priest. Uh, the chrysolite's a dark-colored yellow gem, um, sometimes found in meteorites of all places. Uh, there's also beryl called aquamarine, a blue or blue-green crystal. There's the topaz, which is imperial yellow-orange or like a green gem. Um, the largest uncut stone ever weighs 600 pounds, topaz. Uh, then there's the turquoise, which is blue with silver flecks. There's the jacinth, which is or jacinth, which is the uh, kind of an orange or blue stone for Auburn fans. Uh, <laughs> it's orange blue either way. And then there's the amethyst, uh, deep purple. I won't say it. Um, <laughs> there's a deep purple stone as well, and uh, it's uh, the large amethyst is on the uh, English royal crown, the oldest of the crown jewels. And so here's the idea. The idea behind this is not to draw a picture and say this is what it looks like. The idea is to say, step back. You're talking about 
a wall of clear jasper. You talk about all these stones being in the wall. Uh, the city is pure gold, clear gold. The, uh, the gates are made of pearl. And the interesting there, thing there about that is the ancients considered the pearl one of the most precious jewels ever because it wasn't man-made. Pearls had to go through suffering to be made. The oyster suffers for the pearls to be made. And so where they may not be today, but in the ancient world, the pearls were one of the most, one of the most important and one of the most valuable things there were. And the entire gate is made out of one pearl, which when I preach in Louisiana, they say, what an oyster. <laughs> people from different and then he says the, that on the on the gates there's also gates on the gates are written the names of the 12 uh 12 tribes and the foundation stones had the 12 apostles so here's the idea here's the idea the idea here is one of unbelievable beauty the idea is here is a, is of indescribable beauty a spectrum of colors blazing like we've never seen before. And it's meant God has taken the, the best of beauty we can imagine, the best of brilliance that we can imagine, the best of value that we can imagine, and he's taken the best language we can understand. And I really think what he's saying is to try to imagine this, and it's going to be a whole lot better. This is the best I've got to describe it, but it's going to be even better than that. And in verse 25, it talks about there's going to be gates in the New Jerusalem. Um, in the ancient world, a lot of times the cities would have like three gates on one side, but a lot of times it would just be on one side of the city so they could restrict access, so they could watch for the, make sure the right people are coming in and out. But the New Jerusalem has three gates on all four sides and they never shut. And the idea there is it suggests unlimited access. I really think what this means is that the new Jerusalem is not the totality of heaven. People come in and out. I think the entirety of the new universe is heaven. We get a chance to travel millions, thousands of miles. But we always, this is kind of like the capital city. This is kind of like home base. We always come back, always come back here. And there's unlimited access. You never have to worry about getting shut out. You're never too late, never got curfew. You're always welcome, welcome in. Now, just imagine this. There's no light here because God himself is the light. He is the brilliance that shines through. All the rest of this is to refract and reflect the brilliance of God. And so in the ancient city, now think about this for a minute just from our perspective. But in the ancient world, they had torches to light the city. The cities are poorly lit. You don't see well. And God is saying there's going to be such light here that it is absolutely going to be dazzling. We won't be dazzled by the things of this earth when we get there. I did a little research looking on this. Not that I would know this off the top of my head. Not that you would think I would. But I read where a few years ago that the Pink Legacy Diamonds, considered to be one of the most valuable diamonds in the world. It's, one of the, it's the most valuable diamond ever to be put up for sale and uh, by Christie's, which supposedly is um, uh, better than Walmart. <laughs> they sell the most expensive jewels in the world. And they put up the Pink Legacy uh, Diamond, which weighs 18.96 carats. Yeah, and, it's, it, and, it, and it is one of the top 2% grade of diamonds so it's huge it's very well cut and so they put it up for sale and it sold for 50.66 million dollars 
one stone. And you look at that $50 million pink legacy diamond, and I can't help but think, in the words of Pink Floyd, it's just another brick in the wall. <laughs> okay? And those kind of things, I mean, the things that dazzle us today are just going to be common there. Second thing I want you to see, not only is a new place, but there's going to be new people. You and I are going to be new people there. We will be like him. We'll be like Jesus there, finally done with sin, finally done with all the junk that clutters up our mind, finally done with the dysfunctional thinking, the dysfunctional relationships, dysfunctional relating to each other and, and the way we think about life. Look at 1 John chapter 3, the New Living Translation, verse 2. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know this, we will be like him. I would never believe that if it wasn't in the Bible, right? That's one of those things like, Lord, really, really? Yeah, I couldn't believe it if it wasn't in the Bible. For we will see him as he really is. So there's two descriptive phrases to describe the people in heaven. And, and you know, you, you know that these are saved people. These are people who've given their heart and life to Jesus. People who are repentant of their sins and trusted in Christ. There are two phrases. One or two, two descriptions. One is thirsty. One is thirsty. Thirsty, uh, the Bible says, thirsty people are those who recognize they have a need and come to Jesus to meet that need. Matthew 5, 3 says, you're blessed, the message translation, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God and his rule. The Bible says the thirsty are those who come to Jesus for salvation and they get every desire and longing of their heart Met. You see, when you go out in this 100-degree temperature like we're having and you cut the grass for an hour or two or, bless your heart, if you're able to run for an hour or two, go for a walk for an hour or two, you come back to the house and uh, I walk in the evenings and um, my standard answer, Laura says, how was your walk? And I say, hot. <laughs> and where do I go when I first walk in the door? The refrigerator. And I get a glass of water and a body armor. <laughs> I, don't, I, I get one of each and down the glass of water, down the body. Because when you're thirsty, man, that's just all you think about, right? That's all you think about. And God is saying that deep desires of your, it's not talking about just physical thirst here. The deep desires of your heart for belonging and for acceptance and for relationship and for connection and for joy are going to be met by God. How does he describe it? Verse four, he'll wipe away every tear from your eye. Tears of desperation, tears of loneliness, tears of misery, tears of poverty, tears of lack, tears of misunderstanding, tears of disappointment, uh, tears of penitence or repentance, tears of neglect, tears of yearning, tears of remorse, tears of loneliness and misfortune, uh, of lost love. All those tears will be wiped away. Past tears and future tears gone forever. Why? You'll never have anything to be sad about ever again. Can somebody say thank you, Lord? Hard to imagine. Hard to, Im I, I, I don't know that I'll recognize Laura with no tears. <laughs> she cries a lot, okay? And so that'd be hard for me to even imagine. Or maybe there'll be happy tears, right? Also, I was said, no, no, no more tears. There'll be no more death. I love this idea. Death dies. Revelation chapter 20, it says, death was thrown into the lake of fire. 
Death itself dies. That means you and I live eternally. We'll be in the best place we could ever be in and we never have to leave. Happy as we can possibly be with no time limits. And I think that's one of the great things about heaven is that, that you never have to say, well, I've, I've got to go. <laughs> you know, that's one of the, the one of the bad things about life today is we get in a place where we're having a great time. Um, you know, Laura and I are really good at vacationing. We really are. And uh, we're going in at full time if we can ever find a way to support somebody to support us for that. Um, most people say, boy, we went on vacation. It's so good to be back home. We never say that. <laughs> It's like, really, can we afford one more day? <laughs> we like eating out. We like other people washing our dishes, making our beds, cleaning, you know, we like all that kind of stuff. So we really we do really, really good at that. And you'll never have to say, this has to come to an end. Whatever enjoying, enjoyable activity, do it long as you want to. Having lunch with your friends, somebody you haven't seen in a long time, and, and it seems like it just goes by like that, and all of a sudden an hour, hour and a half's gone by, man, I got to get back to work, or I got to get back home, I got to get back to this. No, 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 no. You got all the time of all of eternity to do the things that God has created you to do. Then there be uh, the overcomers. He calls us the thirsty, and then he calls us the overcomers. The overcomers. What kind of overcomers? Well, look at Revelation chapter 21, verse 7. Revelation 21, verse 7. It says, those who are victorious, the overcomers, will inherit all this. I will be their God. They will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the abominable, the New King James says, um, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. So let's take a look at it real quick. The cowardly, probably in the context of Revelation, those who fear persecution enough that they stop following Jesus. They, they don't fear God more than they fear persecution. They don't revere God more than they revere what people think about them. The unbelieving, those who prove faithless is the unbelieved. They don't hold on to their faith in the grace of God. The word for vile or abominable, actually, um, you know, we think about so-and-so is an that's an Abomination before God is tied to two words typically, the sexually immoral and far more the idolaters is who that word's tied to. So you got the, the abominators, the abominations, uh, murderers. You would think probably these who are maybe those who betrayed Christians to the governments of the world, those who put Christians to death. The sexually immoral, we understand about that. I was listening to a podcast a while back and this guy from Laos Laos, I always have a hard time with that country. The, a pastor from Laos, he was a young guy, and he got saved, and he had a long-distance relationship with this, with this young lady. They had been dating kind of long distance, and uh, she did not get saved, and so he spent a good bit of time apart from her after he got saved just because of the distance of their relationship. Decided to go to a Bible school, felt like God was calling him uh, to really serve God in a deeper way. And so they finally, after... They got back together. He got a chance to visit her, and uh, they were going to, uh, somewhere on his motorcycle. And as they're riding along on the motorcycle, uh, she starts to put her hands in places that Christian young ladies shouldn't put their hands on Christian young men. And when they got to her house, he stepped off the motorcycle and said, we can't see each other anymore. Why? Because that's not who he was anymore. 
That's not the person he was anymore. He, he's not going to live the sex, be the sexually immoral person. Then those who practice magic arts. The idea there is deceptive signs, seductive signs, the deceptive tools of demons, and then liars. Liars would be probably, in the context of Revelation, be false prophets. Y'all know where liars go? Washington? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Liars are false prophets, those who claim to be teaching the truth but are self-centered instead. And so this list talks about those who say they're Christian, those who say they're going to heaven, but deny Christ by their lifestyle. Now, do you wonder how much of an overcomer you have to be? I do. I mean, you should. You look at that list and think, mm, there's times when I've been kind of cowardly. <laughs> there's been times when I've been kind of fearful. There's been times when I maybe didn't tell the truth in certain situations. How, how much of an overcomer do you have to be? Well, let's let John answer the question. Same author, John, in 1 John 5, 5, who is it that overcomes the world? The one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. The overcomer is the one who continues trusting and believing in Christ, even when fear gets the best of him sometimes, even when he acts cowardly sometimes, even when he's immoral sometimes, he still believes, he still trusts in the sacrifice of what Christ did for him, not in what he did for Jesus. Last of all, it's a new place. It's new people and there's a new presence. The reason we should long for heaven is because Jesus is there. Amen? New people, new place, new presence. The reason we long for heaven is because Jesus is there. And I, I couldn't help but think about Richard Collier preaching last Sunday on longing for the presence of God. We should long for his presence in our lives today just like we long for his presence then. Same present, we experience it much differently without the veil of sin. You see, in, in Israelites, they saw God in the cloud and the fire. He's kind of disguised. And then Jesus came and the glory was veiled veiled by his flesh and right now the Holy Spirit is veiled inside of us he lives inside of us but then we get to see the unveiled glory of almighty God the thing about heaven that makes it heaven is we get to see Christ we get to enjoy a conscious close relationship with God himself look in verse 3 and then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying look God's dwelling place, God's home is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. The amazing thing here, this new Jerusalem comes down is that we live in the same house with God in the same place, to behold, I, I don't know, there's just, you know, I run out of words to be able to describe what it will look like to behold the Shekinah outflowing brilliance of the glory of God. The Bible says there's no temple because it's the idea of a temple, you have to go somewhere to worship and you don't have to go anywhere to worship. <laughs> You're in the temple, the whole place is a temple. The whole place is God's house. I, I, I'm grateful today that we live in the New Testament times where our bodies is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Where it's good, we should come here each week and worship together. You worship anywhere you go, right? Go anywhere, driving down the road in your house, wherever you're at, you can take time to worship. But then, man, it's going to be unbelievable worship. 
I love it, verse 5. Um, the Bible tells, God tells John, write. It's almost like John's writing all this, no more tears, no more death, and, and he's writing all this, and it's almost like he just drops his quill. He's just over, overwhelmed and overmade with the beauty of the place, and God has to remind him, write. <laughs> Take that pen back up. Man, got to get yourself back together here. Come back and, uh, and write this and look at verse 22. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. What makes heaven heaven will be Jesus. The conscious, close presence of the one who gave his life for us. The one who is like no other. The one that our finite minds cannot understand. And we will never, ever be bored or feel like we've made a bad decision or a bad choice it will be the time of our lives I heard Kyle Alleman talk about one time with his grandmother her husband his grandfather had died uh, years before and she lived by herself a good long good long time and they went to the cemetery to his grave and he was standing there beside his grandmother and she looked at her husband's grave and she said you know I just can't wait and he knew what she was going to say. I just can't wait to see my husband. Just can't wait to see him again. And she said, you know, I just can't wait to see Jesus. And that is the heart of a disciple. Would you stand with me, please, with heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around. Words really do fail to try to describe being in the presence of God without sin, without disappointment, with no veil, nothing blocking, no one blocking, no ruptured relationships, no, man, I wish I would have done that. Oh, I wish I would have said that. I'm so sorry I said that. I wish I hadn't thought that way. None of that. That's all forever gone. And it will truly be the time of our lives. The time that you were created for to live an uninterrupted fellowship, uninterrupted friendship with the God of the universe. Father, in Christ's name, all I know to say, Lord, is thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you for pursuing us. Thank you for not giving up on us. Thank you for providing overabundantly beyond all we can ask or imagine. All we could ever think about. All we could, I mean, more than we could even comprehend right now. And I pray tonight that we would live in anticipation of what we're on the verge of seeing. Heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around, least a place.